Nobody in the history of time has probably been like, you know, it's up, it's one o'clock in the morning. Like, you know what? I want a salad. (laughs) Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hi everyone, it's Ella here. I am really, truly excited to share someone with you today that is actually a mentor of mine, whether he knows it or not. His name is Sean Stevenson, and Sean is a professional nutritionist who specializes in biochemistry and kinesiology. He's also the author of two books on health and fitness, and a featured contributor to Fox News, Clear Channel Radio, and several other media channels. He's president and CEO of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a very successful company that provides wellness services for individuals and businesses all over the world, actually. But let me tell you how I know Sean. I know Sean through his very, very successful podcast. It's called The Model Health Show. He is amazing. He's got a great co-host named Jade, and they just kill it every time. I've learned something new from him literally every time I have listened to him, and it doesn't hurt that his voice is like butter. Anyway, Sean is also the author of Sleep Smarter, 21 Proven Tips to Sleep Your Way to a Better Body, Better Health, and Bigger Success. So Sean, in short, you're the man, and it is entirely my honor to have you on the show today. Wow, that just made me sound incredible, so I I hope I can live up to it. So thank you for having me on. 100% authentic, 100% authentic. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to jump right in, guys, because I know you're busy, and Sean has a hot schedule. So this is what we're doing. We're talking about sleep today. We're talking about how it impacts your health, how it impacts your overall wellness and your performance. And we're also going to start first with telling you why you should care. Because my experience, Sean, as someone who actually makes a living in the corporate world, my experience is that if I'm busy, if I'm stressed, if I'm overtaxed, the first thing I cut is sleep. It's like this bank I I I I withdraw from first. Well, let's get let's get really honest and real for a moment. You know, sleep is not a sexy topic. You know, the next fancy diet or exercise program, that stuff that sells, you know, that moves units, that gets people to to try things. But also those are the same people that fall off the wagon. You know, they try something new and then they fall off. They try the next thing and fall off. Sleep is the thing that's been consistent. You know, it's consistent forever. Like you have to you have to sleep. It's built into your DNA. The Atkins diet, Atkins diet is not built into your DNA, you know, or the South Beach diet or the vegan diet, whatever it might be, you know. So this is one of those things that it's not sexy, but it's more of a necessity than anything else, first of all. And second of all, you just brought up a really interesting fact. I have worked with thousands of patients, thousands of patients, and when individuals have 10 things to do and sleep is one of them, the sleep gets cut first. And then they start this vicious cycle because now that you're sleep deprived, your brain works far, far less uh, effectively. Your your body fat goes up, your stress levels go up, and it can be very, very difficult to get back on track. So um, with all this said, I want to give people the biggest takeaway of why this matters. Let's get really, really real for a second. If you don't sleep, this is the number one reason why it will be next impossible for you to keep fat off of your body. There was a study done by the Canadian Medical Association Journal, all right? And what they did was they put individuals in two different groups. One was the control group. They slept eight plus hours a night. The other group is the test group, right? So this is the experiment group. They slept for less than six hours a night. They put them on the same exact diet and exercise program. After the end of the study, the sleep-deprived individuals lost far less body fat and far less weight than the control group who got proper sleep. The only difference is they were sleep deprived, okay? Same diet, same exercise, but if you're not sleeping, you're not gonna get the result. Amazing. And that's why this matters. My experience is once I get, once I create a def- deficit for myself on sleep, you know, maybe three days is really when I start to feel it. I know that my cravings are insane. Like I will eat whatever ends up in front of me. <laughs> what? Yeah. First of all, what is that? <laughs> um, well, really simply, um, just 24 hours sleep deprivation. And there's studies out of you know UC Berkeley looking at brain scans, just 24 hours of sleep deprivation. There's going to be about 
a 6% decrease in glucose reaching your brain. So basically you get dumber. All right. And we, this happens to all of us. We become like the, the Jim Carrey version of ourselves, the dumber, dumber. I don't know his name on the movie, but we become that version of ourselves where we're making worse choices and everything is just more difficult. And so if you've ever had uh, a cheese it if you've ever had a goldfish cracker, a Cheeto, a cookie, uh, um, a, a honey bun, your brain knows that you can get quick glucose from those very, very dense sources of processed carbohydrates. That's a survival mechanism. All right. So because that lack of uh, blood flow getting to your brain, and by the way, this is um, not just your brain, but 14% of that is your prefrontal cortex. So this is the part of your brain. This is the more human part of your brain. Let me put it like that. This is the part of your brain responsible for your willpower, your ability to make decisions, to distinguish between right and wrong, right? So that part of your brain is starving. This is why, even though you said, I'm going to stick to my diet, I'm going to do all this exercise, but then it's, you know, midnight rolls around. Nobody in the history of time has probably been like, you know, it's up, it's one o'clock in the morning. They're like, you know what? I want a salad. <laughs> Nobody does that. If it's one o'clock, you're going to go and get that ice cream. You're going to go get some cookies, you know, and also it's because, again, this is your biology, because through our evolution, if you start to lose that that nutrition, get into your brain, it could mean death. OK, because now we live in we have cushy homes. We're safe. But just a couple hundred years ago, you have to procure your food. You have to seek shelter. You have to avoid danger. You know, there's like bears and stuff. You know, and there's stuff lurking around every corner, you know, so we still have the same template. So if you're sleep deprived, your body's going to drive you to get that sugar back to your brain as quick as possible. The problem is today that sugar is coming in the form of unnatural processed foods that is going to exacerbate the problem of storing fat on you. All right. So it all comes together, it blends just like that. You know, it's a multi-layered thing, but we can get a handle on this stuff once we understand it. So you're telling me that it not only truly creates cravings, like that's not just an emotional response that I'm having. It's a biological one. Exactly. But, great. I'm going to blame my biology next time I scarf <laughs> down whatever it is I'm scarfing down. Um, but that not only does it create that craving, but it actually makes you more fat loss resistant, even if I'm eating right. Is that correct? Yes. Just what? One, according to the research, just one night of poor sleep quality will make you as insulin resistant as a type two diabetic, right? So, so you have a lot of clinical experience. Do you see people who are doing like everything else right and they're not getting their sleep right and they're not that's losing, what? Talk to that's, me, what? That's exactly why I wrote this book is because I have seen this time and time again, doing an analysis of somebody's, um, you know, their, their diet and their exercise habits. Oftentimes people that are, you know, really, really focused on being the healthiest version of themselves. They're eating pretty good food, except when they're flipping out because of this whole blood sugar issue. Um, they're exercising too much oftentimes trying to, because people think that's the thing that we need to do is exercise more. And then when I do a deeper analysis, it's either one of two things, chronic stress or chronic sleep problems. Okay. And usually those two things are actually tied together. Right? And that's the secret sauce. When I started to really figure this out and like, okay, here's what's going on. Let's focus on getting your sleep right first and then see what happens. It's just like the floodgates would open for them as far as getting the results that they wanted. And in my clinic, like we've got, we've got an 86% reversal rate for type two diabetes. Oh my gosh. And one of those big- Say that, say that again. <laughs> so we've got an 86% reversal rate for type two diabetes. Wow. It's a really, really simple, um, a, a simple syndrome, you know, it's not something that you have to have. It's a signal that your body's giving you. It's giving you feedback that you need to change some things. And this has to do with your pancreas, liver function, blood, all that fancy stuff. But what it really boils down to is your basic lifestyle factors, you know, and changing that stuff around. And one of those things is getting high quality sleep. Well, I mean, what you're saying makes sense. It almost in a way sounds too good to be true in its simplicity. And then at the same time, that doesn't really make it easy. But what you're what you're saying makes sense because I know that and I think a lot of people know that you don't actually build muscle for example when you're in the gym. That actually happens when you're at rest. And I think people know that fact, but we still have such a hard time sort of buying into it behaviorally. We don't know it. I mean, it's a, I like we we can conceive of that, but are you doing it? Are you actually abiding by that? It's a difference. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge applied is power.
So if you don't actually apply that piece of knowledge, understanding that when you walk into the gym to do your workout, you're in better shape than after you finish the workout. You know, if I take you in and we get your blood work done, your inflammatory biomarkers, so the the, the measures in your blood for disease are going to be up, you know, for inflammation. You're, we do a hormone panel. Stress hormones are going to be off the charts. And it's not that there's something wrong with you. You just did a, a good workout, you know, but it's in the repairing process. It's in the recovery that you actually come back better. So exercise is known as something called a hormetic stress. So this is something that if you have the conditions to heal, you will be a better human being than before you got that stressor. You know, but what most people do is they do more of the stressor. They keep on pounding away, doing more exercise and not understanding that you need to actually exercise less and sleep more to have the body that you really want. All right. We can get on board with that. I mean, I think you've got our attention. What you're telling us is if we don't sleep well and sleep consistently, then we're going to basically be dumber. <laughs> we're going to be, we're not, we're going to be poor performers really in every way. Right. I know that some of the things based on some of the things that you've said and said in the past also is that it accelerates the aging process. Yeah. And thirdly, it's going to create cravings. It's also going to make us resistant to fat loss, whether we're eating like a saint or not. Yes. Okay. You have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> How big is this problem, Sean? Well, according to the research, uh, we have, there's, there's over um, 200,000 prescriptions written uh, last year for sleeping medication. Okay. 200, I'm sorry. Did I say 200,000? 200 million. I'm sorry about that. So it's a big problem. All right. It's a big, big problem. And it's just kind of, it also lines up very nicely with um, the understanding that currently in the United States, about three fourths of the population is either clinically overweight or obese, you know, and a lot of people have heard this, this statistic, but some people have it. The sleep lines up right next to that because we're dealing with somewhere around 70% of the population have some form of issues with getting their, getting regular high quality sleep, you know? So this is why the book has been, so right now it's, it's number one on the bestseller list. It's been six months because people are like, they just haven't gotten this thing figured out because nobody's talking about it, you know? But, and also, again, it's, it's not a sexy topic, so we had to make it sexy and put it all in a way that's easily consumable. So it's a big, big problem, but there's also an even bigger solution. That's so cool, and I'm so glad it's being well-received because, Sean, no, one's, no one is talking about it, and a lot of the tips that you share are not widely known at all. And they're very, very practical. I wanna share some of them. I'm gonna, I'm going to um, toss a couple out of out there from your book. So let's go through maybe five and just share them with folks. Things that they can actually action really soon. I mean, they can try they can try these tonight. They can certainly implement these over the next couple of days. So one of the things that you talk about is body temperature. Talk to me about how room temperature and body temperature impacts your sleep. And you know, women are ridiculous. I'm gonna generalize, I can do that. Um, ridiculous about being cold. I know that, but, That's... but, but talk to me anyway. Okay. So, and I, I intimately know this. I definitely know this. My wife, she's always got that blanket. I think the blanket gets more affection than I do <laughs> sometimes, you know, but anyway, so here's the deal around the hours of about eight or nine or 10 o'clock, somewhere in that time period, PM, our bodies go through a process uh, called thermal regulation. And basically our core body temperature, okay, so our core body temperature drops just a little bit to create the environment in our body for high quality sleep. It has to be cooler for different things to happen with your brain, all right? So it's very simple. Your body has to cool off for different programs to run with your brain. So it goes through this process of thermal regulation every night. So if you keep the temperature in your home too high, it's going to be more difficult. Your body has to work harder to try to drop your temperature down. That's a pretty big thing for your body to do. You know, and anybody knows this, if somebody's trying to break a fever, like you've got to do some work to try to get that temperature down naturally without doing something that could, you know, kind of mask the symptom, you know? So this is something that happens every single night. But what the research also shows is that people that with chronic sleep issues, they're also known as insomnia, insomniacs, their core body temperature is actually slightly higher right before bedtime. Like their system is a little bit off. And this can happen to anybody. Any of us can get off and, and all of us can get back on, okay? So what I recommend for people to do is keep it cool, you know? And what 
and I dug around because I wanted to find the best numbers. Like, what does the research actually say? And it's going to sound a little chilly, but between 60 and 68 degrees is kind of the sweet spot recommended for sleeping. All right. So that's uh, for some people that's like icicles. Ah, I can't do that. So I've stretched it out a little bit and I'll say up to even 72 degrees is a maximum. But what they say is anywhere too far under or, or above can cause some, some pretty significant sleep issues. So keep it cool. But here's a tip. All right. So I'm naturally a warmer body person. Like my wife is also always trying to pull the heat off of me. Right. Um, remind, I can't believe I'm even saying this, admitting this. The movie uh, Twilight, right? So when she's up in the cold or whatever, and then she sleeps next to, to Jacob, I think is Jacob, and he's got the, like the wolf heat, whatever keeps her. So I'm like the wolf. She's like the little wannabe vampire girl, right? So that's my life. And so for the little wannabe vampire girl, what she needs to do is very simple, wear a pair of warm, fuzzy wool socks, some nice socks. Doesn't necessarily have to be fuzzy or wool but just some nice warm socks, okay? Because it's our extremities that tend to get cold and cause us to feel cold. It's very simple, just as simple as that. You know, wear some warm socks to bed. That's a little insurance policy. Both of you are gonna get higher quality sleep when you have it cooler in your sleeping environment, for sure. So Sean, I hate being cold and um, I'm female. So I was highly resistant to this tip when I first learned it from you. And so I'm going to share my story. I am married to a wolf and I am apparently a vampire. But, okay. And I was like, this was, I was not going down without a fight on this one, Sean. But what I did was we turn off the heat because, because it's cold here now and we turn off the heat. Um, or actually I think I set it on 65. I mean, if it's going down to 62, I'm okay with it kicking in. <laughs> so I turn the heat down to 65 and I crack a window. It's like, you know, it's 30 degrees outside. It might be 28 degrees outside. It might be 43 degrees outside, but I crack a window because I'm all in Sean. I'm all about what you're saying. And I am sleeping so much better. Is it okay that I completely pile on the covers? Is that acceptable behavior? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it, as long as you're not sweating. I mean, I got a window yeah. open, well, Sean. Th then we've got to find that sweet spot, you know, because if you're sweating, it's kind of counterproductive. And that the thing, and that's a good indicator because a lot of people like, I get really cold. I'm so cold. But then if you're under the covers sweating, you're not as cold natured as you think. And also, it's just that neural association. Like you said the words, I don't like to be cold. It's one of those things that human beings are, we're supposed to occasionally be subjected to that. You know, it helps to condition us. So if you're saying, I don't like it, you're going to fight against it, you know, instead of just understanding what it is, appreciating it as weird as it sounds, and just kind of understanding that, you know, it's not going to kill me. Like literally, I am not going to die. I am fine. And I'm going to actually sleep better. I just need to calm down, be present, think warm thoughts, you know, and just go to sleep, you know. But if you're, yeah, if you're piling on a bunch of covers and you're wearing like a, I don't know, like a thermal, just like hazmat suit to bed. <laughs> Um, number one, it's not going to be attractive. Number two, if you're sweating, that's very, very counterproductive. So you need to find that sweet spot to have the environment cool enough, but also, you know, making sure that you're not overheating yourself with too many covers. Okay. That is really, really good advice. And I, I got to tell you, it's working. I mean, it really has helped. I sort of start with that pile on and then about an hour after, you know, I, I yeah. kind of peel that stuff off. Anyway, the other thing that you've shared that I want to share with our listeners is blackout. Tell everybody about okay. the blackout. Uh, well, very simply, human beings, we really evolved in, in the in the evening hours and darkness. You know, only within the last, you know, 100 plus years have we had access to electricity like this. And again, we have the same template as our um, homo sapien ancestors from thousands of years ago. Like if you take one of those guys 10,000 years ago, pluck him out, bring him here, put him a nice Armani suit on, he's going to look like one of us. And the, there's really no difference with the physiology and with the brain itself is just what he's been exposed to. So that template is still, still there. But today we can basically interrupt our natural patterns, right? So when you're sleeping in a pitch black room, it's one of the most effective things. Probably this, for me personally, this was the number one thing to improve my sleep quality immediately. We've all probably had the experience of when we're traveling or we're on vacation, even better, we go to a nice hotel and get those blackout curtains. When you close them, everything is pitch black and you wake up, you feel so refreshed. And we just kind of attribute it to like I'm on vacation, you know, like I'm just I'm not stressed or whatever the case may be. A big part of that, though, however, is the fact that you did sleep in a totally dark space 
which most people do not do in their own homes. They've either got the TV on, which is crazy enough, um, lights shining in from, excuse me, maybe the street lights or neighbor's porch light, whatever it might be. And so why this matters is the fact that your skin actually has photoreceptors. Okay, photo means light and then a receptor, something that picks up light. And that information, that, and just to give another example of that, is like sunlight. We know that the sunlight actually will penetrate your skin and make you turn different colors, like literally, you know, it's very, very powerful. And with that said, it will also convert the cholesterol in your body into vitamin D for you, okay? So we know that our, our body picks up light, but we just think about the sun, not the other lights, fluorescent lights, and we very much do that as well. So if any of that is coming into your room, what is also known is that when you're getting hit by higher spectrums of light, it's triggering your body to produce a hormone that's got a lot of catch, uh, it's a big catch word out there today, is cortisol, okay? Very simply, cortisol is a stress hormone. It's very important to our existence, but if you're producing too much of it, it can be a big problem. So cortisol uh, is going to be up when your body is sensing that it's basically there's some daytime exposure. You know, even if it's light, I mean, if it's nighttime, if there's light coming in, your body in some aspects, some parts of your brain is going to think, oh, there's light. It might be sun, sun might be rising or whatever the case may be. So you're not going to be able to stay, get into and stay in the deeper levels of sleep. So um, to, to make all this stuff really simple, it's just black your room out. Get all the light. We call it light pollution actually now. Um, those light sources out of your room and you're going to immediately have a radical increase in your sleep quality. You have no choice. You're basically doing what your genes expect you to do. You know what's funny? When you get those blackout curtains and that you can get, those are really easy to get. I didn't realize that. And you can, and they're not ugly. They don't look like, you know, theater <laughs> curtains. <Yeah. laughs> you, can, you can get them just about anywhere. But once you do that, it's amazing how many other glowing things you start to see in your room. So now I've like, I've completely ghettoed this. So what I've done is I've gotten blackout curtains that are lovely. Okay. And then at night I take all the decorative pillows from my bed and I put one over like the clock radio and you know, or the, the stereo system in there and all those little clocks that are glowing on their various electronic devices. And I cover every single, I've got pillows covering up all these little glowing things. It makes a huge difference. It does. Doesn't it? it so does. And everybody's probably not everybody but a lot of people know about that just like this one annoying like light source that might be coming in you know definitely but you're you're a student playing at a high level with all of that you know and by the way too you know a lot of people you can get alarm clocks now that have complete dimmer shutoffs you know there's many ways that you can do this without being a like a a pillow planter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. It has a name. I love it. There's one more thing that I definitely, definitely adhere to. And then I'm going to tell you the things that I'm failing at, but because I think our listeners might be struggling with some of the th same things. So one thing that I see a lot is that people do not treat their room as you suggest, which is as a sanctuary. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners what you okay. mean by that. Yeah. Um, humans are creatures of habit and habitat. All right, so we are a direct result or direct reflection of the things in our environment. And we also have these things called neural associations. So these are basically brain pattern associations that we create in our day-to-day -day life. And our body does this, our brains do this so that they can basically learn things quickly so that they don't have to think about them. So to give people an example of what I'm talking about, we've all probably had the experience of like you're, you're leaving from a friend's house or you're leaving from work and you're driving home and you get home and you don't remember how you even got there. Like you just completely checked out. You don't remember any of the stops. You don't remember looking at the exits, the stoplights. You just, you left somewhere and you're home. And it's like, whoa, that's scary, right? It's kind of weird. Um, that is because our brains, once you kind of, once you know where you're, where you're going and where, and, and you've done this a few times, it puts that program on automatic to free up space. So they can be more receptive to other things. Okay, so that's the that's a neural connection that's happened. And so we do the same thing every night. I'm sorry, not every night for everybody, but at night for how we go to sleep. You know, a lot of people, they do things need to be a certain way before they go to sleep. You do certain things. A lot of people, it's like they get off the computer and then they go right to sleep or turn the TV off and go to sleep. Um, but there's these certain patterns. So if you've got a neural association to your bedroom being a place that you go into to do work, or to watch television, you're, you're immediately creating a neuro association for that versus when I go into this place, it's for going to sleep. I go into this place as my sleep sanctuary where I go to, to rest and also 
for intimacy. It should be for those two main reasons. And that's the two S's, you know, the double S, okay, sleep and sex. That's what the bedroom should be for. And it creates that neuro association for that. Um, so also, and speaking of the other S, the sex, couples that have a television in their room have 50% less sex. So that is literally like, it's a huge distraction. You know, it's like this electric box is getting between you, you know, and so this is a good cue for everybody to get that television out of your room to just incre increase the quality of your relationship. Um, yeah, so you want to create the environment in your bedroom so that it's all about creating a, a, a feeling of relaxation, peace, presence, happiness versus I'm going in here to, to work, which can be incredibly stressful. It's really simple as that. And then, of course, in the book, I talk about some things that you can do inside the bedroom to make it more like a sanctuary. Um, to help improve the sleep quality. But, you know, th so that's the general idea of it. Well, I love that. And I think that some of the tips that I've learned from you um, have really made a difference. And I'm going to sound, I have never shared so many details about mm -hmm. myself in my life, but a couple things that work is if you, if there's an intense discussion that needs to be held, some people would call them arguments, whatever. Um, we won't hold that discussion in the bedroom. We will actually choose to save that discussion or have it somewhere, literally have it somewhere else because I just want to protect that space. Does that make sense? Do I sound like an insane person who puts pillows everywhere and moves yes, arguments to the kitchen? Do, but <laughs> No, you're you're winning. You know, you're winning at life with, with strategies like that. <laughs> hey, it's working for me. I'm on the right side of that 50% <laughs> FYI. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's talk about something that I think is so tough and it parlays into what you're saying a lot. I think Sean, the screen time curfew, talk to us about the screen time curfew, because most of us sleep with our little phones right next to our brains. And a lot of times people aren't even putting them in airplane mode, which I'm just begging you to do. Let me insert my public service announcement. If you are using your phone as your alarm clock, despite all of the goodness that Sean is sharing with you, I just beg you to put it in airplane mode because your alarm clock will still work and you won't be microwaving your brain to quite the degree in the evening. So thanks for letting me offer that. Um, but talk to us about a screen time curfew. Um, there was an interesting study done by Rensselaer Polytechnic. And what they found was that uh, two hours, just two hours of iPad use before bed was enough to drastically suppress the secretion of melatonin. Melatonin oh is gosh. your body's get good sleep hormone. It actually, that hormone being present at, at, at their optimal levels in your body helps you to get deeper, more anabolic sleep. So what I'm saying with that is that you're going to be able to get into the stages three and four sleep. There's four stages of sleep that are commonly talked about. Stage one and two is called REM sleep or R-E-M. That's rapid eye movement. So that's going on. So that's REM sleep. This is when you're dreaming. All right. Non-REM sleep is stages three and four. This is known as the anabolic state for humans. Anabolic means the building up, the recovery, the rejuvenation, the healing of catabolic is the opposite just being awake in of itself is catabolic we're, we're we're basically breaking down a lot of things with our brain tissue and every every cell in our body really and the only time that, that we recover is during sleep okay contrary to popular belief having a recovery meal or some kind of nutrition something doesn't do anything you know as far as the actual recovery it's giving your body the the the, the raw materials it needs to fix you while you're asleep so with all that said, um, just that iPad use for two hours was enough to keep people from getting into stages three and four sleep, all right? Not good. So there's a couple of hacks that we can have here. Uh, hack number one is to still use our devices as normal, but just to have a, a, a screen curfew, you know, so make sure that we're cutting that time off. And I recommend for people to be at least 90 minutes, preferably two hours before you go to bed. You get yourself away from the computer screen and the iPhone and the iPad and do other things. Okay. What is been some people are like, what are I gonna do, Sean? Is you can there here's here's a couple of things. You can talk to people, right? There are people in the world what? that you can talk to. You can even get on a landline, call somebody, you can talk to your kids, you can talk to your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. There are these papery things called books. You can pick up one of those. You can get out. The kind that you, you hold in your hand that has pages. Write some stuff. Right. Oh, I mean, they're, they're relics, you know. Um, there's so many things you can do. You can, you know, this is a great time for intimate connection. There's so many different things that you can do other than being on the computer. So now with that said, sometimes if you're playing at a high level with this stuff, still sometimes you're going to find yourself 
needing to be online or whatever. And so what I recommend for people to do, there's applications that you can get on your devices that actually pull out and eliminate the most sleep sucking spectrum of light from your screen, which is this blue spectrum of light. So there's an application called Flux, okay, F.Lux. Uh, you can get onto your devices. And then there's some different ones that are variations of it that might be for like your Android or whatever the case may be. But there's devices that you can actually get, I'm sorry, apps that you can get that can eliminate that. And there's some other tips in the book that I share okay. as well. I mean, there's so many for kind of addressing this this topic, but that should be enough to get people started. Okay, and I'll put that, I'll put some of the things that you're referring to in the show notes. The best place to get this information is from Sean's book um, on Amazon, but I will I will actually link to some of this stuff on the um, website onairwithella.com. Okay, so so we can block some of the light, and I know um, there's one more hack. Share another hack. Another us, hack Sean. for? The screen time, how to reduce the impact of the sure. screen time. Um, here, here's another one, a uh, really simple one, is um, for me, I actually have these orange taint orange tinted shades uh glasses they look like construction worker glasses or i've got different versions of them i got some fancy like blue blocker ones um and basically they're orange tinted and those in of itself they help to eliminate the blue light spectrum from everything around you so not just the computer screen and because i've also created this neuro association oftentimes when i put the glasses on i immediately get sleepy all right yeah it's really oh, really bananas yeah. actually and um so, and there's a lot of data to back this up as well. And so just to give people another example of what they look like, if they remember the movie, I call them Mr. and Mrs. Smith glasses. There's this epic fight scene. You got these orange shades on and then they're, you know, shooting up a bunch of people, which I mean, that's not healthy, but, you know, that's what's going on in the movie. <laughs> so I'm wearing those glasses uh, in the evening, um, especially if I'm going to be, you know, if we're staying up a little bit later watching a movie or something, it's a great little hack that you can use to, to help your body secrete more melatonin. And melatonin is the opposite of cortisol. So we already talked about cortisol, right? When melatonin is up, cortisol has to be down. That's how your body operates. When cortisol is up, melatonin is okay. down. So if you're secreting more cortisol at night because you're watching television or on a computer, what's happening to your melatonin? And it takes a while for your body to fix that, right? So these are little hacks that you can use to, to help to improve your sleep quality. Okay, so we're not talking sunglasses. We're talking orange right. glasses orange specifically. Shades. Okay. All right, I'll show people that. And the second question is, what is your thought on melatonin? Some people take a melatonin supplement. I am not a fan of synthetics at all, but I know melatonin is based on your natural hormone of melatonin, which you're just explaining. What is your thought on that? You just said it. It's a hormone. Is it a good idea to be taking exogenous hormones just because they're uh, easy to get at your health food store? Well, the research is indicating that you could be potentially down-regulating or suppressing your body's ability to produce melatonin itself. That's not good, all right? So what, what the research actually indicates is that to use it on a short-term basis, you know, so maybe like a day to a week, just to kind of help to get your body on, on the right cycle is okay. Longer than that, you can start to get your body into that place where you down-regulate your own production. So you've got to be careful about that. So in the book, I give strategies of more natural solutions first, things that have been used for thousands of years, actually. So use natural plant-based things first before we get into synthetic things like melatonin. Um, so one of those, I'll just give you one really quickly, is uh, kava kava, right? So this is the national drink of Fiji, known to be incredibly effective for helping to induce higher quality sleep, deeper stages of sleep. And I give people in the book like a, a rung of like, if try this first, if this doesn't work, try this. If this doesn't work, try this. If this doesn't work, try this. You know, go natural first before you get into synthetic because this stuff can really make your body basically codependent on it. And we want to avoid that. Okay. The number one sort of natural go-to that I know you're a big proponent of is magnesium and magnesium. You can actually get from food, yes. can't you? You don't actually have to pop a pill. Although uh, mag I'm not condemning magnesium supplements in the slightest. Can you talk to us about magnesium? Um, so magnesium, what, what a particular study that I put into the book indicated was that people with chronic sleep disorders, namely insomnia, were found to be across the board deficient in magnesium. Right. And that's just like, wow, that's a very interesting correlation. And magnesium is actually the number one mineral deficiency in the United States. All right. Number one mineral deficiency. Wow. And this is because it's known as the anti-stress mineral. 
And we're just, a, we're just in chronic stress, you know, like we're surrounded, even if we think, oh, I'm not stressed, it's your overall stress load. So relationship stress, diet stress, you know, like putting different nutrients in your body that shouldn't be there. I'm sorry, not nutrients, but foods in your body. Exercise stress, exercise is a stressor. Emotional stress, mental stress, uh, spiritual stress. If you feel like you're not on your purpose or you're feeling disconnected, those kind of things, that all adds to your stress load. And magnesium just getting sucked out of your body, all right? That gets used up very, very quickly. So we must in our world today have a viable source of getting that that uh, mineral composition back up in our body. So first thing I always turn to is food first. So magnesium is generally going to be found in anything that's green, all right? That's going to be a viable source of magnesium. Then there's more, quote, superfoods that I talk about in the book as well. So things like spirulina. But outside of that, what the research indicates is that it's very difficult because even on top of that, honestly, I would say take a magnesium supplement because it gets used so quickly by the body. And this could be like magnesium calm is a very popular product, but still we're kind of getting that, like we're in that borderline synthetic kind of thing. So what the research shows is that the best way to get your magnesium levels up is topically. So getting a magnesium spray or something that you rub onto your skin. Oh. And some people might think that's kind of weird, but this is how most hormone uh, applications are used now, like hormone creams. You rub it into your skin, it changes your your hormones. That's crazy. That's powerful. It's because your skin eats. Your skin is your largest organ, and your skin is actually uh, able to absorb magnesium very, very quickly if it's the right quality of magnesium. Well, and I know this can be good or bad, depending on what your expectation is, but I also know that if you consume um, good quality magnesium or the right kind, it can draw water into your bowel, right? Like into your colon. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Into your intestines? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that area. Yeah. <laughs> and it actually has a little bit of a flushing effect, right? So obviously you can go a little crazy with it and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. But if you get the balance right, it's it can actually be very naturally cleansing. Yeah, so it's basically what we're doing is we're hitting our, it's called a bowel, bowel tolerant. You said it right. Really, it's it does pull more more water, more fluid to your to your bowels, and it will make it a excavation. You know, everything will get evacuated if you have too much. And the thing is, we need more than what we can supplement with, and that's why topically getting a high quality magnesium spray is the way to go. And it's so effective. I literally for three years now, every single night before bed, I'm spraying my magnesium spray on my body. It's just one of the things I just do, and I notice that. If I happen to skip a night, like maybe I leave it while I'm traveling, or maybe I just skip a night for whatever reason, I still sleep great, but there's just this extra sleep yumminess that you get, you know, that you can't really explain um, when you have this magnesium, you know, it just, it's a calming thing. It helps you to get into those deeper stages of sleep and stay there. So I, I absolutely love it. It's one of my essentials. One thing that I've done um, sort of based on that theory is just take a, a bath and put Epsom salts in it. Um, or magnesium yep. flakes. I am entirely worthless after yeah. that experience. Like I'm not, I'm, there, no, there's nothing productive happening after that experience. So there has to be truth in what you're saying. Okay. We're going to run short on time. So I'm going to just tell people about, um, some of the detractors that you talk about in your book. And then Sean, let's spend some time on just some things I can do during the day to ensure a better sleep experience at night. So some of the detractors that you talk about, and you talk about them in a way that is interesting and new, and it's not just, it's not just all the things that sound obvious to people, but you talk about alcohol, you talk about caffeine, you talk about, I love this turn of phrase, you talk about the inner chatter and how to manage that. And some of just the other competitors for sleep, the devices, electronics, et cetera, et cetera. And you do such a good job of not just sharing the why and why people should care, but also giving them tips for mitigating that. So I just want people to know that that type of information is also available in the book, but Let's talk about some of the daytime choices that people can make, some of the tips you have for them for ensuring better quality sleep at night. So how about exercise? Is exercise going to wake me up? Is it going to keep me from sleeping well? Is it going to help me sleep better? What's the story? Awesome. Well, a lot of people feel that, um, surprisingly a lot, that if they work out in the evening, it helps them to sleep better. And it actually does. It can help you to fall asleep faster but you won't necessarily get the high quality rejuvenated sleep we're talking about here. Not one time in my book do I say you need to get 
eight hours of sleep or nine hours of sleep, that doesn't matter as much as the quality. You know, you can be getting six hours of sleep and spending the majority of that, uh, or let's say a greater percentage of that in stages three and four and feel far more refreshed and, and well-rested and, and better uh, capable of handling your day than if you got eight hours of poor quality sleep. So you, there's a difference between falling asleep and passing out. All right, I got to make that distinction. So, and here's what, and this is an interesting study. So it was a study, it was Appalachian State University. They took exercisers and, and, and separated them into three different groups. Group number one exercised at 7 a.m. Group two exercised at 1 p.m. Group three exercised at 7 p.m., okay? What they discovered was that group one, the morning exercisers spent up to 75% more time in the deep rejuvenative stages of sleep, all right? So that one tip, exercising in the morning, will actually help you sleep better at night, all right? So, and I'm not saying for people who work out after work that they have to stop doing that. It's just, you need to do some morning activity, okay? So maybe this is when you hit the gym. Maybe this is when you do some yoga or some rebounding, you know, jumping on a little mini trampoline, going for a power walk. Um, maybe even if you got four minutes, you can do something called Tabata. This Tabata exercise only takes four minutes. Um, there's so many different things you could do, but you need to get your, you need to basically encourage a cortisol spike in the morning so that your cortisol will drop in rhythm at night, right? That's why they're so effective. So that's the best strategy for exercise. And I talk about some different strategies with exercising in the evening in the book. Um, but you know, it's kind of getting to like this very thin line, you know, you've got to have it at a certain cutoff point to give yourself time because what happens is you're going to have that thermal regulation we talked about and your body temperature is going to be too high from workout, from the exercise. It's going to take upwards of around four or five or six hours for it to come back to normal. All right. So these are things that, you know, if you know what you're doing and you can strategize this stuff, you can radically transform your sleep quality and transform your health. Yeah, I mean, no matter what your lifestyle is and when you actually can work out or have to work out, it sounds like you can take your insights and make a strategy that works for you yes. and where you can't give up as much, yes. you can you can take from other areas. Yes, that's why I give these okay. 21 strategies. 21, guys, 21. Take the ones that fit for you, you know, and I don't even do, I don't do all of those things. I don't need to, you know, and it's just like taking the things that fit for you and that feel good and that work for you, you know, that's what it's really about. And and also, you know, just being honest about what you want as well. You know, if you want this, if you want to have a better body, if you want to have uh, a better memory, even, you know, we talk about that in the book, then you have to get high quality sleep and just find those strategies that work for you, implement them and you get the result. Well, amazing. There are two more I wanted to get out. And the first one's really quick and sort of self-evident after you explain what it is. And then the, the second one I want to talk about for just a minute. And the first, the next one I should say is more sunlight. So that's interesting because light at night, bad. Light during the day, good? <laughs> yes, that was awesome. You sound like a cave woman. That was so <laughs> I'm a vampire. <laughs> we covered this. Light <laughs> good. Yes, it is very, it's just like with the exercise thing in the morning, getting that sun exposure is helping to uh, set your cortisol rhythm on the right track. Okay. Cause cortisol should be up in the morning and down in the evening. All right. So that sun exposure helps to basically set your circadian timing. Um, so what that means is basically your, your natural sleep pattern. All right. And news flash for everybody. We're part of nature. You know, so we're like this whole thing going on with the planet. We're like, we're spinning around the middle of like outer space. It's so weird. It's just so weird. And we're here. And all of our <laughs> stuff is so important. But the most fundamental thing that we need to do is understand that we're a part of this. We're a part of this universe. We're part of this world. And there are certain laws. There are certain things that govern our health and, and, and our, and our well being. And when we choose not to follow those laws, then we get pain. You know, we get the residual effects of not following those things. So this is why it's important to understand you've evolved, your ancestors evolved. They would do their activity in the morning. You know, they get out outside in the sunlight. And that's when you do activity because it's safe. At nighttime, you're not nocturnal. You cannot find your food at night, all right, without a flashlight, all right? So good luck with that if you try. But, Even the vampires. I'm just oh, saying. well, yeah, that's a whole nother. Because we're people, vampires. Well, no, <laughs> watch you guys. But yeah, so this is why it's so effective and a necessity really to get some, some sun exposure in the morning. 
Okay, very good. Yeah, we've we've created such artificial environments for ourselves, haven't we? And we've just gotten and we call it convenience and we call it prosperity. Mm. But we've actually created a very very artificial environment that we're trying to nourish ourselves in. And I could go on and on about that all day, but I will not. I will bring up the very last point, Sean, and that is not the last point in your book, but the last one that we have time to talk about today. And I just cannot encourage people enough to go grab this this book, um, Sleep Smarter. Food choices. Talk to us about that. Food choices, some do's and don'ts in terms of sleep. Why does it matter? Mm. This is the this is really where my work has been for the last, you know, 14 years. And so it's really a, a big passion of mine. It's something that I'm, you know, um, people would say I'm one of the foremost experts in understanding this stuff. What you eat matters. It matters a lot. You know, it literally creates every single cell in your body. You're made up of the things that you take from the outer world and put into your body. It's a very intimate process. So food is not just food, it's information. Okay. So literally what you're putting in your mouth is going to set off certain, elicit certain programs. Okay. Turn certain things off, turn certain things on. So how this actually is associated with sleep uh, is there's multiple layers, but we'll just, we'll talk about maybe one or two. Number one, if you're having a meal and you are, um, we'll just say that it's, it's, it's nighttime, right? So we're having our meal, we're having our steak and potato, okay? And we'll just say we're trying to go to bed at 10, we're eating at, we'll say, 8 o'clock. What's going to tend to happen is you're going to have a higher glycemic load, like you're going to get a spike from the, the carbohydrates that you're consuming. And what can happen after that is that you can go hypoglycemic, like your blood sugar is going to come back down. And if you're sleeping when your blood sugar finally comes back to normal, that can pull you out of deep sleep, okay? So it's basically your blood sugar gets too low, it'll wake you up. This is where the whole concept of somebody having a midnight snack came from, where somebody's waking up and going to get a snack, all right? doesn't necessarily have to go that far, but just understand that if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates and then shortly thereafter going to sleep, it could mess up your sleep quality. So little things like that. And I probably said eight o'clock, maybe if you're eating at nine and going to bed at 10, okay? Because your body can fix this stuff relatively quickly, but it's little small things like that. Uh, we'll share one more thing. Um, if somebody... You've heard this before, you shouldn't eat late at night, okay? When I was, when I first met my wife, and so I'm 24-ish years old, and um, I got my body fat checked, and so I'm around like 7% body fat. And Dang. at that time, I literally was eating late at night every night, every single night. Because you're 24, you can do whatever you here's want. Here's the thing, <laughs> that whole thing about don't eat late at night is not true, all right? What the issue is, is that if you're overweight and you eat late at night, this is where the problem happens. Because when a person who's at a normal body fat percentage, normal health, you eat a meal, you get a 5% increase in cortisol. Individuals that are chronic, I'm sorry, clinically overweight or obese, you can get upwards of a 51% increase in your cortisol when you eat a meal. Okay, so if you're eating late at night and you get this huge cortisol spike because you're eating and you're overweight, what happens? Cortisol goes up. Melatonin does what? Down. That's right. So <laughs> now, even though you might be tired, you go to sleep, but you're not going to get into stages three and four. And it becomes this vicious circle because the weight is going to stay on you because you're not getting the high quality sleep. And you're eating late at night and it's keeping your cortisol up, melatonin down, and just kind of just keeps going on and on and on. So to break that pattern, this is why, you know, I put all this into the book for people to pick and choose like what thing really speaks to them. And I dedicated a chapter to talking about um, basically, the chapter's title, Lose Weight and Don't Find It Again. Um, it's giving people, I couldn't, I could not have done this book and not mention this because people need to know about this. No kidding. So. Yeah. And, and guys, if you have, if you're interested at all in nutrition or fat loss or getting into peak wellness and just letting fat loss follow that, then you really need to tune into Sean's podcast, The Model Health Show. He just deep dives into those topics every single week, and it's absolutely fascinating and very, very useful. Um, okay, so clearly 
I could go on for another three hours, but I will not, Sean, in honor of your schedule. And I will look very much forward to the hope that we can talk again. And I, of course, will share your book in the post for this show on the website, onairwithella.com. Until that time, Sean, where can people learn more about you? Because I know they're going to want to get, they're going to want to connect with you right away after listening today. So tell us where to find you. Awesome. Well, my my home online is the Sean Stevenson model. Dot com and my name is spelled s-h-a-w-n you could just google me I'll, I'll pop up there and um we've got the show there but we've also got some incredible my articles are engaging funny informational like it's a pleasure to actually read it. i think that all this stuff should be pleasurable you know like the learning process health should be about joy and and happiness not deprivation and restriction like this is why diets fail that's what I really package into that stuff. We've got some videos there. Um, you can connect with me. I, I'm honestly, I'm new to the game with social media, um, but I'm at Sean Model on Twitter, at Sean Model on Instagram. Somebody literally just like held my hand to the fire to get me on Instagram. So I'm there. And also, um, of course, the Model Health Show uh, on iTunes and Stitcher. Check me out. Good stuff. All right. Well, Sean, you definitely lived up to my gushing intro. I told you, and I just can't thank you enough. It's been a true honor. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Sean. Okay, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. If you like the show, here are two ways you can pay it forward. Tell a friend, help spread the word, and leave a review in iTunes or Stitcher, whichever one you use. That helps the show enormously get traction, and our goal is to spread the word. So if this show spoke to you in any way or it made you think of somebody who could get something out of it, share this with them. And if you want to send me feedback, you can do that directly. Here's how this works. Go to onairwithella.com, find the page that's called Connect, and send me an email. You can tell me anything you want to hear about, ways you think we can improve the show, or just what's on your mind. So I want to hear from you. If you have constructive feedback, tell me directly. If you love the show, share it with somebody and tell iTunes and or Stitcher. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.